far back this morning. Um, first service was much more keen. Uh, before I start, I actually just want to um, affirm the people who were at the desk. Um, we had some issues this morning, but look at that. Absolutely fine now. I think probably I, I caused some of them. And, and they're arguably the most important members of the worship team as well. So um, also, if you're in the room, I don't know if Colin's here. Yeah, Dan, Johnny, just stand up for a moment. If you, if you get involved doing words or doing PA, I want you to stand up. And I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, when the worship goes well, people come and tell me, and that's great. Um, and when the worship goes badly, they go and complain at the desk and say, oh, the sound was terrible this morning. But I, you know, thank you for everything you do for the church. Um, right. Good morning. It really is a pleasure to be here uh, as we continue our series on building community together. But before I go into what I have prepared for today, sorry, I go back there. Um, I wanted to take just a minute to tell you why we're actually looking at community. And the reason is because community is really important to us here at Breton Baptist Church. When we met together as a church to talk about our vision and to talk about what's important to us in a future leader of the church, then your feedback, it was so strong that you, you believe in a sense of community here. And when we met as a leadership team together, that resonated really strongly too. Not only that, but then when we went on a retreat day together as a leadership team, we felt strongly that God was saying we ought to teach on that this autumn. So that's why we're in this series. It's something that we do well, but it's also something we know we need to do better. So today, we're going to look at what's your value. Then we'll explore what it means to put that value into action using passages from Philippians 2 and Ephesians 4 to understand why and how we should value others. But let's start by looking at the definition of the word value. It has two main forms, they're interlinked. The first one is a noun, so it's a thing. And quite simply, value is what we're willing to pay for something based on how important or useful it is. Now the second form is a verb. That's a doing word, so to value someone or something is to decide how much we're going to pay for it, how much something's worth, or it's to consider something or someone to be important. And I thought it'd be fun to start off with a quick quiz um, just to look at the value of a few everyday objects. The first one's one of my favourite everyday objects. This is the electric guitar. Both of these are Fender Stratocaster guitars. They're both white. Uh, which would you prefer to own? The one on the left, hands up, anyone? The one on the right? And most of you just don't play guitar, so you don't care. Well, <laughs> the one on the left, that's the 2018 model, and if you wanted to buy that online this afternoon, that would cost you... £469. The one on the right, that's the 1968 model, that's from 50 years ago, and it just happens to be the one that Jimi Hendrix played at Woodstock, and that would cost you one and a half million pounds. Okay, moving on to another of my favourite things. Any Ferrari fans in the congregation today tell me which models these are? Anyone? Well, the top one's an F355 Berlinetta, or is it? Actually, if you look under the bonnet, you'll see it's a Toyota with a very elaborate body kit, and that's on Autotrader for £10,000 or very near offer. The bottom one, well, that's a 1963 Ferrari GTO, and it just happens to be the most expensive car ever sold at auction. How much do you think it went for? Two million? Any other guesses? £40 million. Chris, Chris Evans is a very wealthy man. Okay, now from cars to parking spaces. 
How much would you pay to park in London, in Hyde Park Gardens, or in Manhattan, New York? Now, bearing in mind, this is just the parking space that's being sold here, not the building, not any land, just a tiny plot of land. In London, that went for, what was it, £350,000, and in Manhattan, New York, $1 million. That's £770,000 just for a parking space. Incredible. Now for something completely different. Which of these feathers would you like to have in your pocket right now? Hands up for the one on the left. Not many hands. Hands up for the one on the right. Not many hands either. Oh, you guys are a cold bunch this morning. Okay. Well, the one on the left, that's a pigeon feather. Totally free. Just get it off my lawn. Okay? Now, the one on the right, that's from a huia bird. I've no idea whether I said that correctly. That's an extinct bird. And each of those feathers is worth £7,700. It is extinct, yes. Um, now, on to photos. Which of these photographs would you like to buy? There's a bit of a watery theme going on. We've got a couple of lakes there, we've got a river, and we've got my lovely family with a snowman. <laughs> well, the first one, I took that. I, I quite like the photo, a bit of light and shade in there, but it's only fairy meadows, and any of you could walk down there or go down there this afternoon and take it. So that's free. You can have that. The next one, I took that one again. It's not a great shot, but it's Lake Windermere, which is a bit more popular. There's a bit more going on, so maybe I'd charge you £10 for the rights to that one. Um, now, this third one, I, I think it's actually quite dull, but it was taken by a chap called uh, Andreas Gursky, um, and it's called Rhine too. It's, I presume it's the River Rhine. This is the most expensive photograph sold at auction, and a print of this, it's not a painting, it's a photo, sold for £3.3 million. Pounds. And the last picture, of course, that's priceless. You guessed it, yes. You're not having that one. That's precious to me. Okay. Uh, on to domain names now. This is bonkers, okay? So this is not a company we're talking about here. Just the right to use www.insure.com as your web address. How much do you think that's sold for? No one's guessing. £12.3 million. Incredible. Now, the Pierre de la Resistance, last but not least, the two most expensive paintings sold at auction. Anyone know which one that is on the left? Who the artist is? It's Paul Cezanne uh, from his series on the card players. And that sold for £209 million. And this one is interchanged by Willem de Kooning, and that sold for £237 million. That is more than quarter of a billion pounds for one picture. Of what? Yes, good question. Of what? I'm not sure. Anyway, the mind boggles at how much people will pay for some pretty ordinary things. But that's exactly the point. We get to define value. What about people? What's your value? Earlier this year, I got a phone call from the bank manager. And I was asked to come into the bank manager's office. Oh dear, I thought, that's not normally a good thing. So rather reluctantly, I went, went up the stairs, pushed the buzzer, and I sat down in his office. And he explained to me that Becky and I were being transferred onto their premium service for higher net worth individuals such as ourselves. Oh, higher net worth, fancy. And I asked him, how exactly do you define higher net worth? And he said, oh, well, it's quite simple. Anyone with an annual income of over £100,000 or a couple with a combined annual income of over £120,000. 
I nearly fell off my chair. I said, um, you do realise we're, we're nowhere near that, don't you? And he kind of looked at his figures and he scratched his head and he said, um, yeah, but you've got it, so you may as well make use of it. So I still don't know why we've got that. But the bank mistakenly labelled me as higher net worth. I did a Google search for Asbo Hoodie and these guys came up. What's their value? Come to think of it, how many Asbo hoodies does the Daily Mail think that I'm worth if I'm higher net worth? It's almost like we'd like to come up with some complex algebraic expression to define my value in relation to them. How ridiculous, and in fact, how offensive to reduce people's value to a number, to reduce people's value, or compare people's value based on how much they earn. But even in the church, Aren't we tempted to value preachers and worship leaders much more than coffee servers and caretakers? We've got to be countercultural. We've got to value people the way God values them. So let's think about those expensive items again. The paintings and the photo, they were valuable because of who painted them, who created them. The guitar, well, that was valuable because of who played it and who owned it. And the feather, that's an odd one, but if you think about it, that feather was valuable because of which body it once belonged to. Friends, the wonderful truth today is that your value is not defined by the Daily Mail, and it's not defined by the bank manager. It's defined by who created you, who owns you, and which body you belong to. You were created one of a kind by God our Father. Ephesians 2.10 says you're God's workmanship also translated his masterpiece. Romans 5.8 says that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you by dying for you on the cross when you were still a sinner. And Ephesians 1 tells us that the moment you believed in Jesus, God put his seal of ownership on you. The Holy Spirit came into your life, into your heart, and lives within you and makes you part of the universal body of Christ. The maker of the universe made you and paid the highest possible price for you. He has declared your value, your net worth to be priceless. Amen? If that's the truth you don't personally know in your heart this morning but you'd like to, then I would love a chance to pray with you after the service. So, We've looked and seen how God has ascribed value to us. That's value the noun. Let's now think about how we value others. That's value the verb. But before we go any further, I'd like you to humour me for a second and just close your eyes, only for a minute. Everyone close your eyes. Okay. Now, in your mind's eye, I would like you to picture for me the most annoying, most rambunctious Christian you know. You know, the one with no social boundaries, who never knows when to stop bugging you, always says the wrong thing at the wrong time, or manages to steal your joy. Everyone got someone in mind? Hopefully you're not all picturing me right at this minute. Okay, open your eyes, and let's look at Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4 together. Let's read these words together. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This passage is one of many calls to unity in the New Testament. And Paul is rightly concerned about disunity in the church because it's the devil's main weapon against church growth. Paul urges the Philippians to stand firm in the first chapter, to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. And he builds on this here, emphasising how we should be with one mind by focusing on what we have in common. That is, that we are all in Christ, we have the Father's love, and we all participate together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So all three persons of God are at work in all of us, drawing us together as one. If we live in disunity, or if we pursue division in the church, that means we're working against God, which is a sobering thought indeed. So Paul then describes here how we build unity through humble service, considering others more important than ourselves. And then in later verses, he goes on to show that Jesus is the supreme example of humility in service to mankind. And this gets right to the heart of what it means to value someone. To value something, as we saw from all of those expensive items, to value something is to be willing to pay a high price for it. But to value someone means to love them. But we know in the Greek this is agape love. That means sacrificial love. Now, in this day and age, in this country, we're unlikely to need to physically lay down our lives for someone. But to value them truly, sacrifice for ourselves, it must come at personal cost. So for us, laying down our lives means giving up our most precious commodities. And they are, I believe, our money, our time, and our pride, or our ego. Money, I'm not going to talk about much this morning. It's a language we all speak. We all love to spend money on ourselves, but what am I willing to pay to benefit my brother or sister instead? I mean, would I go without a holiday in order to give money to a friend in need? Maybe their washing machine had broken down. Would I be prepared to sacrifice that? Would I give more to the church so that together we could support people in their hour of need? What about time? Am I willing to sacrifice my own free time in order to spend it building deeper relationships with my Christian brothers and sisters. We really love to be in control of our time, don't we? We like to have our agenda, our schedule set. But are you prepared to allow God to interrupt that schedule? To, place, to replace your me time with his agenda? And lastly, what about pride? That's the most important for this morning. How do we sacrifice our pride? We love to be right, don't we? We love to be right. We love to tell others that we're right. Uh, we, we love to argue about it a lot, and especially in the church. Should women be allowed to preach or lead a church? Should we marry Christians and non-Christians together? Is homosexuality a sin? Can you be baptise an infant? What about tattoos and hats in church? Christian doctrine is important. I mean, Paul himself had loads of arguments about this stuff. But how do we act humbly while still disagreeing with someone? If you think about it, when we debate, when we argue with people, we're so focused on our own feelings, opinions, uh, feelings and opinions that we don't really listen to anything the other person's saying. When they're talking, we are spending all our energy thinking about what we're going to say next to defend our position. To value someone is to devote time to hearing them out 
That means listening without judging. It means listening without even speaking. Until you understand them. In order to do that, first we've got to get down off our own soapbox. We've got to sacrifice our ego. We've got to sacrifice our overwhelming desire to express our own opinions our, and, and uh, our feelings. Only then can we actually affirm the other person and encourage them, befriend them, bless them, pray for them, maybe even be prepared to change our own views. And there's this wonderful example of this in Scripture, in Acts chapter 15, um, at the Jerusalem Council. And I've read that, that, um, that passage many times, but I've never really noticed this in it. There's this wonderful, wonderful part. They argued, and they argued, and they argued about what rules they should make the, the Gentile believers follow. And there's this beautiful passage where it says, all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul. From that listening came understanding. And from that understanding came a sense of their unifying grace in Christ. And from that, ultimately, it says, all of them rejoiced and all of them were encouraged. But then if you go on to Acts 21, you can read about exactly how much of his ego Paul had to sacrifice to make that happen. So I encourage you to go and read those two passages in Acts 15 and 21 and have a think about it this afternoon maybe. This is how we count others more significant than ourselves and strive side by side for unity in the church. And in fact, God is striving side by side with us. We need to value our differences but focus on what we have in common in Christ. And then we need to give our money, time and our ego up for others. Okay, so we've looked at what our intrinsic value is and we've looked at what valuing others looks like but now let's dive into why and how we should put value into action. The why, I think, is easy. God's plan, God's desire, is to call all people to himself. He wants everyone to be saved. And in John 13, Jesus reveals our part that we have to play in this when he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is reinforced again in 1 John 3. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So we have to love one another. It's an imperative. We don't get to opt out of this and hope that someone else will pick up the slack. Now, our headline passage, our second headline passage, Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16, reveals another reason why we must put value into action. So let's read these words together aloud. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So at face value, this shows that the whole body of Christ, the church, um, matures as each part, that is, all of us, does its work. But the passage begins with the word instead, so if we really want to understand it, we have to look at what comes before it. Um, 
At the start of chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul makes another strong call to unity, and again he emphasises what we have in common. He says, we've got one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And I've paraphrased what he says next, starting at verse 11. Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service. So, we're all equipped for ministry, and we're all called to love and serve one another. Why? To build up the body of Christ. So, the whole purpose of our ministry is to build up the church, and we're all called to do it. Until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature in the knowledge of Jesus. So we have to keep serving one another until everyone is mature, until we're all united. That tells me that there's no retirement plan in Christian ministry, at least not until we get to heaven. But how mature do we have to be? And this next passage is, for me, mind-blowing. And attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Paul is saying that the standard, the measure of our maturity, is the fullness of Christ. Not only that, but he uses the word attain, which means we can achieve it. That's incredible. Now this is known as the process of sanctification, which is a gradual process of growing into the likeness of Jesus. And yeah, it's a, it's a lifelong process, but it is actually a genuine goal for us to strive for that we will achieve. And then in verse 14, Paul says, Then we'll no longer be infants, vulnerable to every cunning and deceitful teaching. And that's a stark warning that we all start our Christian journey very vulnerable to false teaching and evil schemes. So now we understand why Paul starts verse 15 with a word instead. He's desperate for the church to be united and to grow up into Christ, the head of our body, so that we won't be an immature church tossed to and fro by the waves. Why should we put valuing others into action? Because when every part of the body is working properly, when every member plays their part in church life, Jesus makes our body grow so that we're all built up in love. We're a body. We're like interconnected ligaments, muscles, bones, organs and vessels, holding each other together and growing as one body. Now when we read this passage together, a good friend of mine urged me to preach a, uh, a sermon on speaking the truth in love. But today's message is way more fundamental than that because we can't speak the truth in love without first developing deep loving relationships. And when I asked God what his message was for today, I sensed that he was saying, I made you for each other, but you have to give yourselves to one another. So how? How, how do we give ourselves to one another? How do we build those relationships? Well, the answer is to get involved, to put our value into action. I have a bit of a reputation at work for being a grammar nerd. Though in truth, I've only developed this through osmosis by being married to Becky for so long. And one of my biggest ex exasperations is the process known as verbing. And that is um, where we take every perfectly good noun and turn it into a verb. I'll give you a few examples. Um, you don't win a medal at the Olympics anymore, you medal. Um, you don't go out uh, and eat lunch together. You might lunch with your friend. Uh, you probably, these days, parent your children instead of bringing them up like they used to. And in fact, you might consider gifting money to charity. 
Well, there's a really bad example of this in the church where we take the word fellowship and we turn it into a verb. It seems harmless enough, but my problem with this is that it seems to suggest that fellowship is something that we can do to one another. It's not. No matter how much I might want to, I just can't fellowship you. And that's because fellowship is a shared bond of love and acceptance. It grows from being united in the spirit and in committed community together. It just doesn't happen over coffee at the end of the service. We also shouldn't confuse fellowship with our own interest groups. There's nothing wrong with enjoying friendship with people um, who have similar interests or backgrounds, but most non-Christians sustain loving friendships in cliques or within family. And even my most obstinate colleague at work knows how to make sacrifices in his marriage. If all you're doing is hanging out with people you like, or people who are like you, inviting your friends over for dinner, all that kind of stuff, look, that's not bad, that's okay, but it's not sacrificially loving one another. To stand out from the world, we must love one another as a diverse church, not as cliques and social groups. Becky and I started attending this church in 2003, which is a lot longer ago than I care to remember. However, I do distinctly remember after one Sunday service, and I remember we were sat just probably about the third row over there, I turned to Becky and I said, this is a great place, but we'll only ever be on the fringes here. We'll never truly be an, an integral part of this church. I mean, how wrong I was. Now, we feel more loved, more supported, more connected than at any time in our lives. Occasionally, I hear people complain that they kept coming to church for months on end and no one made a real effort to, uh, to, to make friends with them or to get them involved in church life. And sometimes people say things like, well, once I feel more settled here, then I'll get involved. No, no, no. That's entirely the opposite way around. Once you get involved, then you become settled. Then you get to know people better. Then you feel part of the family. What changed for Becky and me was that we started going to a house group. And then we volunteered to help an alpha, just to sit on the table and, and, and help out. Pretty soon, we were helping at the youth club. Now, I wasn't necessarily any good at those things, but I had a go. And through the process of having a go, I developed some really strong friendships and relationships. And eventually, I found my niche. When I asked you to imagine an annoying person, an annoying Christian, I joked that, and I, that I hoped you weren't all thinking about me. But the truth is, at least one or two of you probably were thinking about me. It turns out I wasn't always sweetness and light. In fact, others have testified to how annoying I was when I joined the church, and some of you may well testify that I am still that annoying. Um, yeah, there are a lot of rough edges left on me to, for Jesus to smooth over, and yet I still experience wonderful warmth of acceptance and fellowship from so many different people in the church. If you really want unity, if you really want to stretch your agape love muscles, then that Christian, that annoying Christian you pictured, that's the person you need to think about considering more important than yourself. That's the person you need to think about how you could sacrifice either your time, your money, or your ego for. I don't want you to be discouraged or think there's an impossible task. I could have gone with someone easier, like your partner or your best friend, but I want us to have a vision that's beyond the obvious. If there's a person who winds you up at church, well, that's probably because you're in regular contact with them. And if you're in regular contact with them, that may just be because they desperately need 
love, friendship and fellowship. And you desperately need the practice of loving someone who's different from you and who causes you grief. Our God has strange ways of bringing people together, but they are God's ways and they're good ways. Yeah, so there are two key areas where you can develop that fellowship and learn to value your brothers and sisters in a diverse setting. I could only think of two, really. The first is in ministry groups. That's serving the church together, as we were called to in Ephesians. And the second is in small groups, which is where which is, we call connect groups in Breton. And that's where we support and encourage one another. If you're not involved in these areas today, you're missing out on what God has planned for you because he wants you to be in deep, loving relationship, in fellowship with your Christian brothers and sisters. Not only do you miss out, but the whole church misses out because as we learn from Ephesians, the body only grows when all its members are working together and properly and doing their part. I don't think it is. I don't think it is, but... Let's talk about it at the end. I'll keep going. I want to grow up in Christ. I don't know about you. I want to grow up in Christ. I really desperately want Breton Baptist Church to grow up in Christ. And if you want to come on this exciting journey with me, this journey of fellowship, get to know the annoying me, then do come and talk to me at the end of the service or to anyone else on the leadership team. Now, a few weeks ago, David used the example of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting as a shining example of of mutual acceptance, and it was a really great picture. But I genuinely believe that if we truly grasp the power of this message, the power of every person here connected together as one, we can go way better than that. Imagine if our church wasn't a church with small groups, but it was a church of small groups. A close-knit community of love that's thriving, alive in the spirit, and warm and fizzing with fellowship. Imagine a church where nobody gets left behind, nobody feels left out, and everybody feels accepted. Imagine how it will feel at Breton Baptist Church when everyone is involved in ministry, everyone's involved in small groups, and everyone has two or three people that they're totally honest and accountable with. Doesn't that sound amazing? And what did Paul say? Paul says we can achieve this as we all grow together. We can do this. I believe it. Now I mentioned that I sense God saying, I made you for each other, but you have to give yourselves to one another. But there was more to it than that. And I go out on a limb a bit, but I believe he was saying that our joy isn't complete until it's shared. And that somehow even our grief isn't complete, isn't quite right until it's shared. We weren't made for solitude and we weren't meant to suffer grief alone. That's what fellowship really is. You were bought at a price. God has defined your value, your net worth to be priceless. You've been called to value and love others and to give yourselves to one another. Now let's get involved. Father God, please prepare our hearts to serve one another today. Help us to sacrifice our own, our own ego, to get off our soapboxes and listen to one another and value one another. Will you build in us humble hearts? 
that we might give ourselves to one another and grow in fellowship together. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.